How is it? How is it that some are saying there is no resurrection? <coughs> Why would anybody say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Not a rhetorical question. Why? Why would anybody say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Because he didn't witness it. Could be because he didn't see it, right? You don't believe it. Don't believe? Okay, Terry? Don't believe in God. Well, if you don't believe in God, sure. Why else would you not believe that there's resurrection from the dead? The body deteriorates. Every moron knows that when things die, they stay dead. That's why. <laughs> why would you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Well, because everybody knows that. I mean, we, we have a great deal more knowledge of science and medicine than folks did 2,000 years ago. But they certainly knew that when people die, they stay dead. That's how it works. One of my favorite books is a book called Lamb by a guy named Christopher Moore. Has anybody ever read it's, it's a great book. It, it, is, it is so funny. It's, it's the, the subtitle is The Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal. The, the, the premise is there is a 13th disciple named Biff. There's actually Levi who is called Biff, and he was called Biff because that's the sound name when he the sound name when he got hit upside the head, which happened a lot. And, and he was uh, obnoxious, and all the other disciples hated him, so they wrote him out of their Gospels. But uh, on the 2000th anniversary of Christ's birth, uh, God decides that he wants to have another Gospel. So he, he raises Biff back up from the dead, and he, he sticks him in a hotel room with an angel uh, and, and tells him to, to write his Gospel. And, and it opens up, when it, uh, when it opens up, uh, Biff says, the first time that I met the Savior of the world, he was sitting next to the well with half a lizard in his mouth. So the scene that he describes is that Jesus, at the age of six, was sitting there with a lizard in his mouth, and he took out the lizard, and he gave it to his brother, who let it run around and play with him, and then took a rock and bashed its head in and then handed it back to Jesus, and Jesus put it in his mouth and took him out, and he was a living lizard again. And to me, that's a riot for so many reasons. For one, I mean, this is exactly what little boys do. They play with lizards. And if your brother had the ability to bring lizards back from the dead, what would be more fun than bashing lizards' heads in and giving your brother to resurrect so you could do it over and over again? No, the, the reason that's funny, of course, is it's, you know, you, when you think about Jesus, you don't necessarily think of him as a six-year-old boy or playing with his brother. But, but, but it's funny because, of course, we know when, when lizards have their heads bashed in, they don't come back from the dead. They stay dead. That's why it's a big deal to say that there's a resurrection. Because it is not what people expect. And in the time when, when Jesus shows up, 2,000 years ago, you have two main systems of thought floating around in the air. You have the, the Hellenistic or Greco-Roman understanding of the dead. And if you've, if you've read uh, any of, of Homer, you, you know you have, uh, in a sense, that kind of function as the Bible for that, 
that culture, but, but you know, you, you know that you have these scenes where people will go and they'll visit the dead in Hades. It's mostly set up as a as a literary device so that somebody can can talk to, to somebody who's who's died. But uh, but but you visit these people and it's a one way street. That nobody is expecting that they're coming back from the land of the dead. It's a it's a gloomy sad place, the, the, the figures there are described as shades or, or shadows, nobody's, nobody's happy there, but, but they're, not, they're not going anywhere else, they're not coming back. I mean, some of them are tormented and, and some are just, just bored, but, but once you die, you stay dead. And then, of course, you have the Jewish understanding of humanity, which is that at one point, in the, in the far distant future, there will come a great day when everybody will be resurrected from the dead. Daniel puts it this way in, in his book. This is uh, Daniel chapter 12. He, he says that, that uh, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So everybody gets raised from the dead, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. But, but that's coming way later. We know that that hasn't happened yet precisely because all these people who have died have stayed dead. They're not walking among us anymore. So... When Paul says, how can some of you say that there's a resurrection of the dead? He's saying, how is it that all of you are saying everything that, that the same thing that everybody knows? That everybody believes that there's no resurrection of the dead? Our proclamation here is just a tiny bit radical. He says, because look, if if in fact, all dead things stay dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Right? If it's completely impossible for the dead to be raised, that would mean that Christ himself could not have been raised. And if he hasn't been raised, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, well, our preaching is pointless. There are any number of things we could be doing right now, Paul says, other than what we're doing. Because if Christ is raised from the dead, then, then, then what a futile exercise this is that, that we're engaged in. And, and if our preaching is useless, and if your faith is based on this word that we preach, then your faith is useless too. Then you've been sold a bill of goods if in fact the dead aren't raised. In fact, what's worse, and this is for, for a, a devout Jew like Paul, is horrifying to think that if if, in fact, the dead are raised, and I've been going around saying that Christ is raised from the dead, well, that means that I'm lying. And if I say that not only that Christ is raised from the dead, but that God raised Christ from the dead, and that's not true, well, well I am giving false testimony about God. You're violating at least two of the Ten Commandments when you do that. That's not good. Because we have been testifying. We've been saying, Paul says, that God raised Christ from the dead, but there's no way he could raise him from the dead if, in fact, the dead can't be raised. 
And see, if the dead are raised, and Christ can't be raised, and if Christ can't be raised from the dead, your faith is futile, which means that you are still in your sins. Everything that we have been saying is, is made possible for you because of Christ's atoning death and glorious resurrection. If, if there's no resurrection, then maybe he wasn't who he said that he was. Maybe he just was one more in a line of would-be messiahs. If he's not raised, then he's got nothing to offer. Except maybe a good example. And that means that those who've fallen asleep in Christ, those we know who, who are his followers who've already died, that we've been for whom we've had this confident hope that they will be raised, but if, if he's not raised, then they're not going to be raised either. They're lost. Then it's just it's game over for them. That's the end of the story. And then for us, if, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're the most pitiful people on the planet. If this is all, wow, what a waste. And so it would make perfect sense in a place like Corinth for people to believe that the dead are not raised. Corinth, as you no, I'm sure, it was a very important, very vibrant town. It was a port city. All the latest ideas were, were running through the culture there. People there were not in some backwater where they didn't know anything. They hadn't heard the latest information. People in Corinth tended to be ambitious. It was a new town. It was a new town because the old Corinth had made the Romans mad, so they basically uh, raised it to the ground, and then later on they said, yeah, but this is a good place to have a trading port. We should probably have a city here. So they started back up. So everybody in Corinth was was there because they had either been dragged there or, or because they were there to, to, to seek their fortune and new ventures. They were smart. They knew that dead things stay dead. And so it made perfect sense that people around Corinth would be told, yeah, this this story of this Jewish guy who, who died, but then three days later was raised from the dead, that makes no sense. And Paul said, that is exactly my point. Paul says, I know full well that dead things stay dead. I know you know that. And that's why this message that Christ has been raised from the dead is such a bold claim. This is not the way things normally go. This is not what we expect. Christ has indeed, Paul says, been raised from the dead. And he is the first fruits of them that sleep. So he's not the only one that will be raised from the dead. He's the first. But he's paved the way for all the others who will be. That is the faith that we confess. And as I mentioned last week, 
Paul says this is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that having been well and truly dead, he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. These are foundational to our faith. If that's not true, then everything we're doing here is a waste of time. All the time and energy of faithful donations to a place where we worship our risen Lord and Savior. That's just a big mistake. But, Paul says, it's not a mistake. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And next week, we're going to talk about all the implications that spin out from that. But for now, please, please join me as we stand and we affirm our faith in our resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the words of the Nicene